You're listening to the Web4 Marketing Podcast, where business owners, digital marketers, and creatives collide. We do have a jam-packed session I want to run through and kind of cover everything for you guys. I'm excited today to talk to you about how to develop a customer-centric digital marketing strategy. Before I really jump in, though, I thought it'd be good for us to get to know each other a little bit better. So, yes, that's me as a kid. I know what you're thinking. He was a cute kid. What the hell happened? <laughs> well, like many of us do, we go through phases in our life, right? And so, I don't know about you, but I've went through some different phases. I actually went through a goth phase. <laughs> Anybody go through a goth phase? Nice, nice. All right, so the key to being goth is to not smile, so that didn't last for me for very long. And then I went through another phase. This one was weird. I call this the cute, cuddly, and kind of creepy phase. You'll be happy to know, though, I, I outgrew that and actually met a woman. Miracles do happen. And I have two off-the-charges awesome kids. They wanted to say hi real quick. And then there's my, my work family, which I have the pleasure of working with week in and week out. And um, I started my company, like Daniel said, on the three R's. But I, before I started the company, I was going to work every day and it was eating away at me inside because I felt like what I was doing was not having a positive impact for our clients. And it killed me. And I've always loved the entrepreneurial spirit. I love it when people get out of their comfort zones and they try to do things that they never thought possible and they chase their dreams. My mother often talked to me about the ripple effect and how the actions that we take every single day and the inactions have a ripple effect. And she often said, we're changing the world every day whether we like it or not. It's not a matter of whether we're changing the world, it's a matter of whether are we making it better. So you can understand why I get very frustrated sometimes when clients get in their own way. Very passionate about this. And a lot of times clients just be like, let's try a little social, a little SEO and see what happens. And then we have to come in and clean up the mess. And it's not a, I'm not averse to risk, it's not about that. I mean, I've jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. I fought in no holds barred full contact fighting competitions. I dove off this cliff in Maui. And actually, that wasn't the hard part. The hard part actually was jumping back up. I, I started my own business. I left a high paying job and started my own business in the worst part of the economy ever. Right, I'm not afraid of risk. But what does bother me is when you have people relying on you, you have employees, you have families that are relying on you, and you don't have a plan. I ask my clients often, you know, do you have a customer-centric digital marketing strategy, and they look at me like this. <laughs> what are you talking about? So we all know this saying, right? Most people don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. Yet so many clients just want to jump in. And then it doesn't turn out well. <laughs> so I'm here today to ask you to help me help you, right? Help me help you. We're gonna be covering a simple framework to help you start developing a customer-centric digital marketing strategy. I'm gonna give you a few tips on how to get buy-in. And then we're gonna to turn towards the future and look at one of the biggest marketing trends that's happening right now. So what is a customer-centric digital marketing strategy? It's a strategic plan revolving around your customer, that's that part that's missing, uh, revolving around your customer designed to achieve a major business objective through marketing and measurement initiatives. What if it'll, no, I'll show up there, okay. So a lot of times clients don't really know where to start when they're developing a strategy. We recommend the 5WH process, and this has been being used for years and everything from writing to reporting, and it's 
It's very simple. Some people might think it's too simple, but I actually find the beauty in taking something complex and making it simple. And when you have something that's simple, it's easier to understand. And when it's easier to understand, it's easier to get buy-in and get implemented. And what good is a strategy if it's not actually implemented? So for those who don't know, 5WH stands for who, what, when, where, why, and? Oh, that was quiet. <laughs> All right, it's interactive, guys. You can talk. So, so. so I developed this visual so that you kind of get an idea of the, the process and, and how we think about this. It's not a linear process. You don't go from step one to step two. You start with your customer. Everything starts and revolves around them with the who. And then you kind of move out from there. And it's an agile process, so you might look at why and where, and those are gonna drive you back to kind of the who area. And then on the outside is how, because that's generally one of the last things that you actually do. But so many businesses do it backwards. They start with how and end with who. So I'm gonna be running through some of this stuff kind of quick, and uh, I wanna make sure that you guys have uh, the slide deck and all the notes, some of the links to the resources I'm gonna share. So either visit or write down this URL or store it in the memory banks, web4.com forward slash sick we're going to get going. So when you start with the who part, you'd start brainstorming a lot of the different who questions. Who's our ideal customer? Who can we partner with? Who do we have internally that can help us? Who do we have externally? But one of the most important questions is who's our ideal customer? And as you start to define that and understand that, you want to get in your customer's shoes, right? And so the best way to do that is through developing personas and understanding the customer journey, right? You want to walk a mile in their shoes. I love this quote from Steve Jobs where he says, get closer than ever to your customers, so close that you know what they need well before they realize it themselves. I'm not sure he meant that close, but is there anybody who has a cuddling business in here? That might work for you. No cuddle. All right. So what is a persona? Well, there's a lot of different types of persona. There's kind of the more broad persona, and there's more detail. In this case, we're talking about a detail, detailed portrayal of your ideal customer, including demographics, psychographics and story. But yet so many people actually forget the story part. So here's an example of what a persona might look like. And you have the picture, you have the customer's name or potential customer's name, and then you have demographic information like age and occupation. Maybe you want to put in home ownership level, income level, things like that. And then you want to have psychographic information like what are their hobbies? What type of platforms do they tend to use? And then, and then you have the story. And this is where I see missing out of a lot of personas. A story is powerful because it allows you to both empathize and visualize with your, what your customer is going through. And it allows you to align different parts of your company, right? So, so many times you have people in different silos and they don't have aligned objectives, and this is a way for them to all be aligned and understand this is our customer and this is who we're serving, right? As you're developing this, I want you to remember the acronym FUD. That's why Homer's over there in the corner, so you don't forget, kind of, he's hiding. Sounding waspy wabbits. So FUD stands for fears, uncertainties, desires, and decision making. What are the customer's fears, right? It's gonna vary greatly depending on the type of business you have. If you have a retail coffee shop, fears could be very simple. It might be that they're worried about buying a cup of coffee and they're not gonna like it, and so are they worried about returning it? But then on the other end of the spectrum, if you have somebody who's looking for hospice services for a family member who's near the end of their life, their fears are gonna be very different. What uncertainties do they have? So many times when we're in our company, we get kind of brand blindness, and we start to think that people know everything we know, that they know the jargon we know, and they know the difference between these things, but they don't most often. So you wanna understand what uncertainties do they have? And then what are their desires and how can we help them achieve those goals? And then one of the most important is, what is the decision-making process they go through? 
So you want to get to know your customers, and one of the best ways I've found to do that is actually just sit down and have a conversation with them. And this isn't going to work for every single one out there, whether you're in an agency or you're in-house or anything like that, but what I, I recommend, if it's possible, is just say, find some of your best customers. Maybe they're your most profitable, most loyal, longest-time customers, and say, you know what, Mary, we want to take you out to lunch. We'd like to get to know more about you. And make them feel special. Let them know. Say, hey, we want to find out why you do business with us. You're one of our best customers. We love working with you. We want to find out if there's ways that we can maybe take care of you better. And if they do tell you those things, make sure that you act upon those and you follow up and communicate with them what you're actually doing. Now, you want to balance data with empathy. It's critical when you're developing personas that you're not just looking at the empathetic side or just the data side. You want to have a balance, right, of logic and emotion. And so Facebook Audience Insights is a great tool. You can go in here and kind of filter through and say, hey, I know my clients are tend to be in a relationship. They're married, they have children in the home, and that will narrow everything down and will show you what are the lifestyle traits for that demographic, right? It'll show you what are the top cars they drive, what are the top pages they like, income levels, home ownership, just a ton of great data to kind of build. But I'd recommend taking it a step further. This is a great hack, I don't know if, a lot of marketers in here? Market, yeah, most everyone. So many of you probably know about like Facebook remarketing and things like that. Well, regardless of if you're going to do Facebook remarketing, you can still set up a custom audience. This doesn't cost you anything. You can set up a custom audience, go in and say, anyone who visits our website. And then you can start tracking all the visitors to your website for free. And this will build a whole demographic profile with all that information in it. It's free. It's one of the best hacks that you have out there. These are actual, your actual customers and potential customers who are visiting your website. And of course you have analytics and you have tons of information in there. You, have, you can tell what affinity are our users that are visiting our website. What other affinities do they have? In this case, for this particular client, movie lovers is a top affinity. Do you think that could be valuable in basically building a persona or maybe opportunities to do sales promotions, giving away movie tickets, things like that? And then you have in-market segments. So in-market segments are basically when someone's searching for your or looking for buying your product or service, what else are they in the market for at that time? And in this case, they're in that market for travel and hotel and travel and airfare, right? So this is opening up opportunities for potential strategic partnerships or advertising opportunities as well as getting to know your customer better. How many in here are in B2B, target B2B? Okay, quite a few. So this is a great tool called Crystal Nose. K-N-O-W-S, and the link's also in the slide, or the link I shared earlier, the link's in there too. But this is a great tool, it actually runs the disk personality assessment on publicly available information. So you can look at like a LinkedIn profile, and you can run this assessment, and it'll tell you, A, if you've taken the test, how similar you are in personality. It will give you information on that person, it'll talk about how to gain their trust and certain phrases and words to use with them. It's very, very valuable information. Another cool thing about this is actually it'll tell you like I get a notification every time I have a meeting coming up. It tells me who I'm meeting with and how to better communicate with them. So very personalized. Now if you have an existing database of customers, you've been doing a good job, you've been collecting emails and things like that, you can use SurveyMonkey and get tons of market data. But what a lot of people don't know is if you have no existing customers, you can actually use SurveyMonkey because they have millions of people ready to take surveys. And you can actually narrow by geography. So you were opening up a brand new market in Washington State and you said, I want to target males of age X through X in Washington State. You can do that. There's also another tool called Pullfish, which is much cheaper, but you, you have to target the whole nation. So that works for you too. Anybody heard of the Nielsen Prism? I've heard you one. 
Wow, you guys are gonna love this tool. So Nielsen took the whole entire US, broke us up into 14 different groups, and of those groups, put us into 66 individual demographically and behaviorally distinct segments. So you can go in here and you can browse all these different segments as you're thinking about your persona and who my client is, and this will allow you to kind of say, oh yeah, that's a lot like our client, right? And as you, if you have a, are there any local businesses that have like a brick and mortar location? One, two, couple, okay. So you can use the zip code lookup tool and you can see all of the people around your area and what segments actually populate in your general area. So it'll help you kind of ideal, like help you identify some of your customers and what persona they might match. Now, if you're targeting nationwide, this doesn't work for, this is a, a huge hack right here though. So for some companies this is, it doesn't work for everyone, but when you have a company and your customer is very, very kind of distinct demographic and over time you find out that, hey, this is the persona they match, right? This is our most ideal customer. You can actually take this and you can look and see where do they reside across the entire US. And what you can do with that is you can then overlay search data and say, hey, these are the areas that people are actually searching for our product or services, and here's our personas, overlay those and find the most ideal areas to target rather than targeting the whole entire nation. Save you a hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars there. Just, you can, there's a lot of wasted money in those cases. Anybody heard of Demographics Pro? All right, cool, I'm glad I'm bringing you guys some new tools here. So Demographics Pro is basically like a competitive analysis tool. It will run on Twitter, they just added Instagram recently, and will analyze the followers of any, in this case we did Harley Davidson. And so it'll tell you, like professionally, followers of Harley Davidson tend to work as construction professionals, photographers, pilots. It talks about what they like to do in their spare time, like drinking and <laughs> outdoors and you know, who doesn't, right? So. Uh, it also talks about what they like to see on, or talk about on social media, like news and politics, the UFC. Can you see how this information might help you better connect with your customers? I love the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and in that book he actually, he presents the idea that we like people who are like ourselves, right? We like people who are like ourselves. And the science of building rapport is not that different between an individual and an individual and an individual and a company. So the more you know about your customers, the better you can connect with them on a personal level. So we've talked a lot about the persona side. Let's think about the customer journey. As you, in, if anybody heard uh, Michael and Heather's talk, they kind of talked about the customer cycle, the customer journey as well. And as you understand the customer journey, it opens up so many opportunities for you. It tells you where you should be basically investing your time and money. So a customer journey is a representation of what a person or group of people is doing is feeling, thinking, and doing as they interact across multiple channels and move through different stages of the buying process. So what are they feeling, thinking, and doing? Right? You want to understand in this stage, are they excited or are they fearful? Maybe they're confident at this point or at other times they're unsure. How can you make them feel more sure and how can you support that confidence in those different times? And what are they thinking? What analytically, what, how do they make decisions? What questions do they have? And then what are they physically doing, right? What channels are they in? What devices are they using? What actions are they taking? And the kind of experience that they're having. When you understand all of this, it paints a pretty clear picture of where you should be investing your time and money. Yet so many businesses just like jump in, right? And then they, I love that gif. I just want to play it over and over. This uh, the customer journey tool from Google, it actually basically shows you where the different channels interact 
by industry and by geography. You can only break it down to the US, but one caveat here is that this does not, volume isn't taken into account here, so it's only where they're falling in that channel. So at the beginning of the stage for food, the food and drink industry in the US, the referral traffic, organic search traffic, and general paid search are often the first interaction conversion, right? And then farther down the funnel, social comes into play, right? Maybe they deepen the relationship through social, and then there's, excuse me, there's email. So maybe they sign up for email or something like that along the way, and then you have display click, and you have direct as the final interaction prior to making a conversion, so making a purchase or filling out a contact form, et cetera. This is great information that you can just go and find readily available. Now, I'm not showing you this digital marketing funnel to kind of go into detail about it, but it's more to say, and it's actually to kind of come off of Michael and Heather's uh, presentation where they're talking about a lot of people don't focus, they, or they mainly focus on just the top part of the funnel, right? And they think once, as a marketer, once a conversion happens, it's over. Now it's sales or customer service. But the opportunity, there's so much opportunity that lies beyond that with the customer relationship. So I love this quote, the purpose of a business is to create a customer who creates customers. When you think about your business in this way, it fundamentally changes how you do business. Like, I won't take on a client just because they're gonna pay me. I only take on a client because I know I can provide a tremendous amount of value. And when you do it in that manner, you know that that client, and you provide them value, they're gonna refer you to other customers, right? And I wanna put this into a financial perspective for you because Right? At the end of the day, ROI is kind of the, the rule of the world here. But Bright Local did a great study and it looked at how many people would do business with you based on the number of star ratings you have. And so you can see here, at four out of five stars, it drops down to 94%. At three out of five stars, it drops to 57% of people would do business with you. Provides the case for both taking care of your customers and having a strategic approach in place, making sure you're managing your reputation online. If there was a million dollars in opportunity flowing through this channel, that's a loss of 430,000 of potential revenue. Uh, so Michael Blumenthal, uh, I was with him last week in Bend. He's one of the founders of this company. It's a great tool, Get Five Stars, um, and it helps with the online review process. But one of my favorite things about it is actually the customer feedback loop. So when you develop a strategy, it's not just get to know our customer and then we're done listening, right? You want to have a feedback loop where you're constantly listening to your customer, and this is a great way to do that because so many opportunities arise. Your customers are your number one area of opportunity. They're going to give you ideas and they're going to tell you things that they're not happy about. The problem is a lot of people won't tell you that they're not happy about things. So the ones that do are a good thing. It's hard to hear sometimes, but it allows you to improve things, which affects the other 66% of people who are not going to tell you anything. They're just going to go somewhere else. And I want to kind of finish this section with this. is Customers will never love a company until its employees love it first. If you want your customers to be treated a certain way, you need to treat your employees that way. So we're not going to have time to go into the entire 5WH strategy process today. I wish we did. But what I did is I, uh, I'm working on a worksheet for you guys that will walk you through the entire process. Uh, and it's at this URL, web4.com forward slash strategy. Should be done beginning of November. I'll send it out. You guys will be the first to receive it once it's done. So we talked a lot about how to start developing a customer-centric strategy. Now I want to talk to you about how to get buy-in. Because so many of our friends and other agencies and in-house directors of marketing and things like that are like, hey, I'm on board. I want to get this moving, but 
I'm just trying to get it past our board or C-level or to our client isn't on board with this. And so I'm going to show you four simple ways that we've used over the years to get buy-in. And it's using analogies, addressing the three I's, projecting the four C's, and using visuals. Now I'm going to go into each one of these in more detail, but the whole time I want you to think about either your, your client or your, your boss or your board and, and think about them and understand what are they responsible for. Are they responsible for top-line revenue? Are they responsible for profitability? And you want to speak to them in their language, right? The whole time, they're like this, show me the money! <laughs> right? You have to equate it to dollars. You have to equate it to dollars. And if it's a CEO, you might be talking top-line revenue, you're focusing on top-line revenue. The CFO, maybe operations manager, you're talking about customer lifetime value and, and increasing profit margin because this channel has a, a higher CLTV. So analogies are powerful. They're powerful in their simplicity because you can take a, a thought that someone maybe either doesn't agree with or doesn't understand, and you can present a simple idea that when they get, they automatically transfer that to the other. It's a great, it's a great thing. I love using analogies. And so more often than I'd like to admit, I'm in the situation where I'm sitting there and maybe our team is sitting with a board and the board says, hey, this is great. We want to move forward. <clears throat> but we don't really want to do the strategy part. We don't want to take the time to do the planning. I see people nodding heads. It's like, so hard to get by. And so I use this simple analogy, and it's, I mean, it's dead simple, but I'm like, you know, if the eight of us wanted to go out to lunch today, we probably wouldn't need to do a lot of planning. We just maybe want to make reservations. What if we wanted to take out the whole company, all 300 of us? Maybe need to do a little more planning, right? What if we wanted to travel to another galaxy the planning that we would do now up front would mean the difference of whether we got off the ground, whether we end up at our destination or in a black hole. So I understand how you feel, and I've had other clients that have felt the same way, but with all due respect, in my experience, I found that it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, if we don't do a strategy up front. So I also included the Feel Felt Found in there. That's a great little tool. I use that to help relate to people. But the three eyes stand for issue, impact, and importance. Issue, impact, and importance. An issue could be, let's say, uh, currently when consumers are searching for product, our products or services or related terms in search engines, we're not appearing prominently, but our competitors are. It's an issue, right? What is the impact of that? Well, the impact is our competitors are gaining market share while we're losing market share. And I've estimated that the buying decisions influenced by search engines is roughly $430 million a year. If we could only capture half of a percentage of that, we're looking at $2 million in additional revenue per year. So you've covered the impact. What, how important is that? Well, you know better than I do that if we lose market share, we lose leverage, which can affect a number of other things. This is also one of the biggest channels for us that has the highest opportunity, both from a volume perspective and return on investment. So we've talked about the importance. But there's three I's with a capital S. That S is there for a reason, right? Do people like it when you just come to them with issues, problems? What do they want? Solutions. Wow, you guys are sharp. So they want a solution. So you can, you're not going to be able to probably present an entire solution at that point, but you can say, I put together a preliminary plan to further investigate this opportunity, and I'd like to discuss that with you. And then you have the next steps. And that puts you in a good position with the person you're talking to. And you want to project the four C's, which stand for credible, competent, current, and caring. 
And it varies if you're in an agency or whether you're in-house, but credibility can be a number of things. You know, speaking on the stage or being the part of the Better Business Bureau or, or an organization or being mentioned on you know, certain publications can add credibility. Your competence is gonna come from your past experience and what kind of case studies. What have you done in the past, right? And also, as you're preparing the information for your board or whoever you're speaking to, the amount of research that you put in and how you present yourself is gonna show competence. And then of course you have to be current, which is why we come here, right? Different conferences and we stay on top and we're constantly learning is to be current. But above all, you have to be caring. If you're not caring, it's gonna show through in everything you do. So <laughs> I'm both excited and scared about this part because using visuals is very powerful, but I've been using this visual for over seven years uh, and it's very simple. But I've never actually shown it to a larger group. I don't know why. I just never did. I've always kind of drawn it. And um, I finally realized, I was like, well, what actually is it? So this actually forced me to define it. And it's basically just a visual representation of how I think about strategy. So when I'm sitting down with clients, I'd often be sitting there and I'm trying to explain to them strategy. And I see their eyes rolling in the back of their head. Yeah? No, it's... So this visual has helped me where they just get it when I show it to them. So I'm hoping it helps you. So I might start out and I might draw this on a whiteboard. And I'll say, your strategy, everything revolves around who? It revolves around your customer, right? You wanna to get to know your customer better than anyone else. And in a digital strategy, you're also gonna to need to have a plan to get people to endorse you, right? This could be influencers or media. You're gonna want people to mention you and, and share your content and link to you and things like that. And then you have your community. And this is gonna vary greatly depending on the type of business you're in, how important each of these are. But you want to understand at least who's in your community, how to cultivate your community, and how you want to direct that, and possibly have rules in place in case things happen. So you want to have all those strategies. Now from here, I usually draw three circles around and say these are your three largest kind of areas of opportunity or channels that you go after around this. You have search, social, and direct. And I give them the most simple explanation of each channel, basically, and I say, you know, search is a, a great channel for you when there's a demand for what you're offering, right? When people are actually searching for it. If you've created a brand new product and there's no demand for it, search is probably not going to be the largest focus for you. A good rule of thumb with social is the more social your product or service is, the better social media will be for you. If you're selling Preparation H or adult diapers, that might be, not be something I wanna talk about publicly too much. Though I got some good ideas for, depends. Anybody? No, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, another rule of thumb with social is the more niche your demographic, your target market is, the better you can target on social. And then you have direct, which is where you're reaching out directly to your customer. So marketing automation comes into play. You have email, text messaging, push notifications. So all these areas overlap because in a cohesive strategy, there's alignment and they benefit each other, right? And then you have your website platform. You have your content strategy, you have user experience, your brand. PR and reputation management are all affected by these, <coughs> as well as your analytics. So an example would be if I create some great content that I wanna get found in search, and it's showing up and I'm driving a lot of traffic, but if I don't have that overlap of direct, I'm losing, I have this big hole in my funnel where people aren't actually deepening the relationship and getting into my funnel, right? But if I took that same content and I revised it and I reworked it into maybe a white paper or possibly a worksheet, then now they're in the direct funnel, right? And so now I'm emailing them. And 
Eventually, I'm going to have a call to action, right, in one of those emails to follow me on social, deepen the relationship through there. And what we found is that as people interact with you in multiple channels, it's like gravity pulling them to the center, being part of your community, eventually a customer, and ultimately a brand champion, which is a customer who creates customers. But your strategy, sir, when I'm talking to them, I kind of show them where they're at, I say, you know, your strategy currently is you have a strong presence in social. Right? That's good, but your presence in search is, is really small. There's a lot of opportunity there. Right? It's always opportunity. <laughs> and you have direct, right? And direct is really small when you have, there's so many things that you could be doing there. None of these are aligned and actually benefiting each other currently. There's no alignment, right? Everyone's in silos. They're not actually communicating. There's no aligned objectives, objectives and they're actually, in some ways, competing for budget, right? And then you are creating content, but you're getting a small percentage of the value. You create great content, but you're not repurposing it in multiple fashions, in multiple channels. I could take this presentation and have it be a webinar and a, a podcast and a white paper and a worksheet and so many other things, right? You're not repurposing that content. When your strategy should look more like this. Search should be your largest focus. You should have a strong presence in social, and you should also have a really strong presence in direct. And when you do that, and all these work together with a solid content strategy, your website, you're going to be much more successful. I hope if anybody uses that and actually and it, it works for you, I'd love to hear back. It's, uh, it's worked really well for me. Clients just tend to get it for whatever reason. And so we've talked about how to start developing a customer-centric digital strategy. We've talked a little bit about getting buy-in. And so now let's look at the future, right? And it doesn't take a crystal ball to kind of see what the future holds. I think if you have a good understanding of human behavior, you look at what some of the top companies are doing, where they're spending their money, what companies they're buying, who they're hiring, what kind of patents they're filing, it's pretty clear. We're about to go into the next fundamental biggest shift ever in marketing in our lifetimes. We went from the PC era back in the late 1970s, the web was created, We've had the mobile revolution for the last 10 years and now we're on the precipice of the AI revolution. AI is gonna fundamentally change everything about your jobs. Everything, it's going to be both crazy and awesome. Now, back in 2015, I, I wrote this uh, post where I presented, I was talking about the future trends of digital. I said the future <coughs> trends in marketing are gonna follow these three Ps. They're gonna be personalized, they're gonna be predictive, and they're gonna be proactive. We've already seen personalization grow, but it's still in its infancy, right? We're not quite yet at that Tom Cruise type personalization that Michael and Heather showed, but it's, it's, it, personalization is gonna grow tremendously. And then predictive, right? From predictive lead scoring to rank brain that predicts user intent to provide better search results. But of all these, proactive, I think, is the biggest fundamental shift for us to get as a people. It's going to be hard for us, and I'll, Explain that a little bit more because you might not totally get what I'm saying there. I had this uh, opportunity to be, to provide a quote to Mashable and I said the, person, the goal of all these companies is to become the best personal assistant you've ever had and in large part to provide personalized information and as proactively before a user even makes a request. So before a user even makes a request is the proactive part. This request, this represents a fundamental shift in the way we think about mobile marketing. Now, of course, this is much bigger than mobile. Did anybody see the Made by Google event? Come on, a couple of you, no? Okay, a few of you saw it. So, you know Google Assistant is actually built right into Google Home. So I can go in and I can say, hey, add Cliff Bars to my shopping list, and it's on my home device, it's on my phone, 
have it everywhere I go, right? The assistant will eventually be in your smartwatch, not so smartwatch, um, in your car, wherever, right? And while this assistant technology is fundamentally groundbreaking, the actual shift I'm talking about is when this assistant technology goes from a reactive state to a proactive state. So right now, if you're using anything like Google Assistant or Siri, you have to initiate something. You have to use a voice command. You have to click a button. But in the not-too-distant future, that's going to change. I want to ask you guys, if you're going to hire a personal assistant, you're going to pay them to do work for you, would you want them to only do things when you told them what to do? There's a couple people shaking their head. This is, you can talk back. <laughs> you probably want them to learn the job, get to understand you, right? Personalize things and, and predict your needs, and then take initiative, right, and be proactive. Well, in the next three to five years, you're gonna see a huge shift here. At some point, you're gonna see like a proactive mode or always on mode, or you'll have to disable it, most likely. Um, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. If I'm just talking with some friends, and Jarvis here, I call him Jarvis for obvious reasons, is listening because he's in my pocket, right? And he's listening, he's parsing all the information that's going on, and he's storing, he, it's storing things that it, it thinks is important to understand me better and to provide assistance, right? And if I say, hey, I've always wanted to have a boat, Jarvis might realize, hey, I'm talking with friends, I'm not gonna talk or anything like that, but I'm just gonna provide a little notification. And it's a search result that says, is being a boat owner right for me? And of course, there's ads there. Could you see search results potentially increasing when they're driving all their search results? That's crazy. Um, another example, this is my future example that I'm excited about is, I don't know if anybody knows, but Google Home actually has a feature where you walk in, you say good morning, and it will walk you through your day. It'll actually say, it'll say good morning, Kevin, and it will tell you what the weather's like, what your traffic to work is, and tell you your schedule throughout the day. In the future, though, I'll walk in and it will prompt me, and it'll say good morning, Kevin, and I'll say good morning, Jarvis, because just because it's a machine doesn't mean I have to be an animal, right? And it will walk me through my day. And at the end, it'll say, by the way, your wife, birthday's coming up in two weeks, and she's mentioned this concert five times in the last few weeks. <laughs> I, I heard nothing of this, by the way. I've taken the liberty of pulling up tickets to the show. I just need your authorization if you'd like me to purchase them. And then you have your fingerprint or voice authorization or however you have it set up. And, and then Jarvis says, and by the way, I took the liberty of making dinner reservations at Urban Farmers, your favorite restaurant, two hours prior to the event. Wow, great. Any other great ideas, Jarvis? <laughs> Yeah, you're, if you schedule a massage for your wife that day, you have a 66% chance of getting lucky that night. Jarvis, hold on. Go ahead and schedule that massage, though. If you don't believe me that proactive is huge, listen to Google. Aparna Chanapragada, director of product at Google, says we want to proactively bring you answers. They choose their words carefully, and it's no coincidence that Apple's iOS initiative last year went by the code name proactive. An assistant far smarter than Siri's current incarnation. So this isn't to scare some of you and excite others. <laughs> Speaking of a changing landscape, changing landscape, it's just to let you know that change is coming, right? And like this scene in Inception where the world is constantly changing around them, but they're all calm. This isn't new for us, right? The digital landscape's changing every single day. We're used to it, we got this. But it's gonna be scary for some, and it's going to be very difficult for others, and that's why you need to have a customer-centered digital strategy. 
because there's all these shiny objects out there and as markets become fragmented and things change quickly, your customer is your North Star. And if you follow that customer and use them as your guiding light, so to speak, you'll be much more successful in your endeavors. So I wanna finish by encouraging everyone here to be proactive. Not only proactive in developing a customer-centric digital strategy, but proactive in making the world a better place. I want you to remember what my mother said, which is everything we do every day has a ripple effect. Whether you like it or not, all of your actions, your inactions are changing the world. It's not a matter of whether you can change the world, it's a matter of are you making it better. And with that, I want to end and open it up if we have time for questions.